Well, good morning. You may be seated, and I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles this morning for our scripture passage that we're going to be uh, examining this morning and trusting that the Lord will use to transform our lives and our hearts today. It comes from Hebrews, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. It says this, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord, and Lord, we ask you today, would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. That is the Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas time. And so we want to say welcome to you if this is your first time here. Merry Christmas. I hope you feel it. Anybody excited about Christmas in the room? Good, good. Get me excited. I need your help. <laughs> because I, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling that Christmas crunch. In case you don't do math very well, we are exactly two weeks, 14 days from Christmas. If you didn't feel the crunch before that statement, you're probably feeling it now. And this is the reason why I love Amazon Prime and pay so that I can get two-day delivery, right? Because I think to myself every year, I'm going to get my Christmas shopping done by December 1st. It'll be all done. It'll be great. And I can relax for the whole Christmas season. Alas, here we are again. And I'm feeling the crunch. And so I love that I can click on a few orders and know that, Lord willing, praying for those postal workers right now this time of year, get my packages delivered on time. Uh, and so I don't mean to add to any of your stress today. There's plenty of forces in this world that add stress and pressure and anxiety to our lives. So I, I don't need to add that to your, to your shoulders here this morning. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to spend some time focusing on our Savior. Uh, that's what we're focusing on right now. This series that we're in, it's called Christmas Carols Singing Our Savior's Birth. Remember, last week we talked about the fact that, you know, we go into these shopping malls, we go into these drugstores, we go into department stores, we hear it on the radio, we hear it on commercials. These amazing songs, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, all these amazing songs that are singing amazing truths about Jesus, things that you could never say 11 months out of the year, but for one month. It's freely spoken of. Last night I was at the, the National Christmas Tree in front of the White House, and there was a nativity scene there, and I'm thinking to myself, this is awesome, right? People are actually okay with the presence of, of truths about Jesus in our culture, but we don't want to just sing that and just move along. Oh, those are nice songs to sing. We want to leverage these moments where we're thinking about and meditating upon the truths 
of Jesus. And so we've got another Christmas carol to share with you today. Last week we looked at go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ, he's the king, and that this this kingdom of Jesus is the good news that we get to share. But we've got another carol today. Now this is an old English Christmas carol that goes back hundreds of years. The exact date of it, its uh, origin is unknown, but historians think that it goes all the way back to the 16th or 17th centuries, likely the 16th century A.D. And this is, this is our carol, God rest ye merry gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen. No, its roots are somewhat, uh, somewhat ambiguous. It seems to have been well known by the time Charles Dickens published his famous A Christmas Carol in 1843. And whenever Ebenezer Scrooge, in, in this story of Dickens, when Ebenezer Scrooge heard it being sung outside the door of his office on Christmas Eve, he seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror. It's kind of a foreshadowing of the story, right? God rest you merry, gentleman Scrooge. Let nothing you dismay, tidings of comfort and joy. And we know from the story that he's visited by three ghosts that night and he realizes the error of his lifestyle. And he's a transformed man. He's a repentant man. And so I wanted to ask you for a second, who's your favorite Scrooge? I tried to put up a a picture of Scrooge up on the screen. But there's so many to pick from, from, from our movies. And so there's eight Scrooges there. So when I say Ebenezer Scrooge, whatever comes to your mind, just you can think about him for a moment. Uh, I love the one of Bill Murray there on the lower left, right? right? That's pretty funny, right? I think the one I remember the most is Scrooge McDuck, you know, as a kid watching Mickey's Christmas Carol. And then I think the one from uh, Muppet's Christmas Carol is there too. But we're not going to talk about that this morning. I just was wondering who your favorite Scrooge is. I know my mother will have an opinion for me later. Uh, but let's, let's, take a, let's take a look at this here a little bit. The title of this carol is God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, okay? Now, now this is important for us to know. It's God rest you merry, gentlemen, not, not God rest you merry gentlemen. You see, uh, this song, it was sung by the common folk of England, but it wasn't sung as an encouragement to the men at the English pub who drank too much ale. Then we would say something like this, look, gentlemen, you're getting a little too merry with your partying. It's time to tone it down. For God's sake, go home and get some rest, right? That's the one way we could read it, but that's incorrect. The comma is very important. You see, Mary is describing the rest. It's not describing the gentleman. No, it's God rest you, Mary. And the Oxford English Dictionary dates the phrase rest you, Mary, all the way back to 1534. In fact, several of William Shakespeare's work include variations of this phrase in the uh, plays As You Like It and Romeo and Juliet. God rest you, Mary, or rest you, Mary. So what does God rest you, Mary, Mean. Now, this is a catchphrase of the time that was often used in greetings in England, and it means God grant you peace and happiness. God grant you peace and happiness. It seems similar to the Jewish greeting of Shalom, which meant God's peace and blessing be upon you. Now, this theme of this carol is singing the good news, the tidings of comfort and joy because of the miracle of Christmas an encouragement that would be sung on the streets of London by people to take great cheer at Christmas time and in the event of Christmas. This carol addresses directly the fears we all fear, fear, uh, feel, excuse me, all the fears we feel from the diabolical works of Satan in this world and upon our lives. Though he seemed to have the upper hand in this world, let nothing you dismay, friends. 
God grants you peace and happiness. Why? Because remember, Christ our Savior was born. So instead of singing to one another to tone it all down in the merriment, you know, just relax a little bit. No, we sing, let God grant you peace and happiness in the midst of your fears because Jesus has come. And so we're going to sing it right now with our worship team. Praise God for our worship team, right? They're going to come up and lead us in singing, God rest ye merry gentlemen. All right. You guys want to snap? Let's snap this thing, okay? Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? Go ahead. One, two, three. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you despair. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us from Satan's power, we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. From God, from God, our heavenly Father, our blessed angel came, and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by day. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. a great song and uh, I don't know about you but the snapping helped warm up my hands a little bit so I like that so if you feel cold and you see somebody snapping they're just warming up their hands but uh, yes tidings of comfort and joy and the song brings out these themes of Satan's power and his terror over humanity but the good news is that Jesus has come and that's our big idea this morning from the text in uh, Hebrews that we read earlier, our big idea is this, Christmas is good news that replaces our fear with comfort. Christmas is the good news about Jesus that takes away our fears and instills in our hearts comfort and joy. Christmas, this thing that we celebrate every December, it comes and it goes. And, you know, those some people, they love to talk about the countdowns in like June and July and it makes me want to punch them in the face. Not really. That wouldn't be very Christian. But, um, it, you know, you hear about this and, and we forget that, no, this is a great message that replaces our fear 
with comfort. And so we saw in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, about this incarnation. And, and that's what I want to ask right now. What is Christmas? I mean, what are we really celebrating here? Well, Christmas is the event. It's not a season, it's an event, because seasons come and go, but events are timeless. This event has impacted human history forever. Christmas is the miracle of the incarnation. And we saw that in our verses this morning. It's, it's the eternal Son of God who put on human flesh. And we saw that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14. and Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. You can go on to that next slide there. Christmas is the miracle of the incarnation. And we see that in these verses. Since therefore, verse 14 says, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He participated with us in sharing in flesh and blood and all the realities that go along with that. Verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Every respect. Hunger. Thirst. Exhaustion. Pain. Need. Our God in the flesh had need, even temptation, even temptation was the reality of the experience of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And we'll get into that idea of experiencing temptation in just a little bit. But Christmas is the incarnation, the eternal son of God stepped into creation he took on flesh and blood like his children whom he came to save. He's always is God and he always will be God, but he became human. He became a man. He participated in blood and flesh. He was made like his brothers in every way. Humanity and all the challenges that come with it, including the ability to be tempted. As one recent campaign puts it, he gets us. Jesus knows what it's like to be living in human flesh. That brings us back to our big idea again this morning. Christmas, this idea of God in human flesh, is good news that replaces our fear with comfort. We're going to take a look at two aspects of reasons why Jesus did this from this text. First of all, Jesus became one of us to free us from our fears. Verses 14 to 16. And secondly, Jesus became one of us to comfort us with his help. Verses 17 to 18. So let's jump into this a little bit here. Uh, Hebrews 2 14, 2, 14 to 16, first point. Jesus became one of us to free us from our fears. And the first thing he did is that Jesus ended Satan's power. Yeah, right. Amen. Jesus ended Satan's power. Power. Again, verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, being Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Friends, I want to tell you something. The devil is real. The devil's real. He's not a force. He's not an idea. He's not like a a mental psychological figure that we've made up in our minds, in our psyches. No, the devil is real. 
In fact, it's not just religious people that believe in the reality of the devil. There's a secular writer, Andrew Del Banco. He's a professor of American studies at Columbia University. And he wrote a book called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost a Sense of Evil. And the idea of his book is that our modern minds have attempted to try and explain away all the horrors that we see in this world. We try and explain it away through science, through medicine, We believe our behaviors can be traced back to merely natural causes. So if they're natural causes, what what do we do to find the answers? We find natural solutions to our natural problems. We need more education. We need more equal opportunities. We need better mental health. And certainly all those things are absolutely needed. But even with all those things, and they continue to grow, and we continue to learn more about education, about equal opportunities, about mental health, there's still something that is unidentifiable by science. It's a spiritual force at work, and his name is Satan. We can try and find all the natural solutions we want, but in the end, there's a force that is working against humanity. And his name is Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, describes Satan this way. It says this, The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Satan, he's called the adversary. He's the devil. But one of the things that he does is that he's an accuser of humanity, especially God's people. He goes before God every time you mess up, and he says, Do you see what Matthew did? Do you see what he did today? Do you see what Dave Kelly did today? Do you see what Will Johnson did today? Matt Rumbaugh, Hang Tu. Do you see what they did today? Do you see the sins that they committed, the thoughts that they had? He's the accuser of the brethren. John 8, 44, there's another description of Satan. He, uh, Jesus is speaking to uh, the religious leaders. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Wow. right? He's calling the devil their father. And then here's how he describes the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. He's a liar and he is a murderer. He deceives humanity. If you remember the story of the Bible all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the Satan, Satan, the serpent, came to Eve, deceived her, tricked her, and caused her to eat the fruit, uh, the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She willfully took it. She gave it to her husband, Adam, knowing the truth. He also ate of the fruit and humanity was plunged into sin forever. And we know that the wages of sin is what? Death. He is a murderer. A murderer. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He's an accuser of the brethren. He is a murderer. He is a liar. He is an adversary. The scripture also says that he's an angel of light. That's his deception. He comes and, he, and you think, oh, this must be good. This must be right. It just feels so right. And yet he is there veiling his wickedness as an angel of light to deceive us, trick us, accuse us, oppose us, ultimately leading to our death because he is a murderer. 1 John 3, 8, 
He's a sinner from the beginning, but I love the second half of that verse. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, think Christmas, friends. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Praise God for Christmas. Christmas was God's declaration of war on the evil works of the devil. I'm so glad we've got somebody, a warrior, fighting for us. And yet this warrior came and was laid in a manger for you and for me. So much humility. Christmas is God's declaration of war on the evil works of the devil. Jesus delivered the death blow to Satan's work. And friends, I'm telling you this, we love to celebrate Advent, right? The arrival of Christmas. But Christmas doesn't just look back. Christmas looks forward. Christmas looks forward to the day when our Messiah will come, not lying in a manger, but riding on a white horse to defeat all of his enemies. Yeah, Satan, he's still doing a lot of work today. But friends, the death blow has been given to him. And someday he will be defeated forever and ever. And the kingdom of Jesus will reign forever and ever. Jesus will return to finish the job. So we see that Jesus ended Satan's power, but we also see that Jesus freed us from slavery to death. Again, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, and he came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Fear. Fear. It's what motivates us about so many things. The things that, the behaviors that we have, the, the choices that we make in our society so often are fueled and motivated by fear. Satan knows this. It's one of the most powerful motivators. He causes us to make choices all the time that, that in the end harm us, that in the end harm one another, that in the end lead us to rebellion against God. Why? Because we are afraid. We feel that fear, slavery to that fear. Friend, I want to tell you today, you may have walked in here and you may think to yourself, I'm just trying to check out this church service. Now you're telling me that I'm enslaved? Friend, if you've never been set free by our King Jesus who came to wage war on Satan, the answer of the Bible to your question is yes. We are all born slaves to sin. We're all born enslaved to the whim and the deception and the murder and the sinning of Satan. We're all born deserving the punishment that is due us because of our sin. And every time you think to yourself, I, I want to change. I want to get right. I want to do what's perfect. We find in ourselves this principle in of us that says, no matter how hard I try, I'm still not perfect. Why? Because our hearts are enslaved. And we're enslaved to fear Specifically, a fear of death. Think about all the ways people try and cheat death. All the medications we're willing to take. All of the treatments we're willing to, to receive. All the, the, the lengths we go to try to extend our lives because there's a fear of what happens on the other side when we close those eyes and we take that last breath and that heart beats for the last time. What is happening on the other side? And Satan knows this and he dangles that over our heads and he says there is death to fear. This is the great weapon of Satan is to enslave us to a fear of death. 
But Jesus came. Jesus came. The truth of Christmas is that Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Praise be to God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, the second half of it says, The appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, think Christmas. He abolished death and brought life and brought immortality to light through the good news of the gospel. Praise be to God, friends. Christmas is about removing all of our fears. Christmas is about setting us free. Jesus, this little babe born in a manger, came to set captives like you and like me from fear and slavery to fear because of death. I love what 1 Corinthians 15, 56 to 57 says. The Apostle Paul writes this. After he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the reality of that and the reality that one day all those who die in faith in Jesus Christ will be raised, he says this at the end of the chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but... But one of our favorite words in all the Bible, when there's bad news, we always wait for that good news of the butt of God. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. He gives us victory. Now, I hate taunting in sports. I, you know, when I see it on TV, when one of my teams, and they're taunting, and they're down by like 21 points. I'm like, what's the matter with you, Right? I hate taunting in sports, especially when the game isn't over. I believe in fair play because I believe in respecting your opponent. But friend, I want to tell you today, Satan is not to be respected. Death is a tormenting enemy. And right here in this verse, we have a taunt at our adversary and we have a taunt at his greatest weapon, the fear of death. Why? Because of Christmas, friends. It frees us. It sets us free from our fears. Friend, today you may come in And you may be feeling like your heart is full of fear. You may feel like your heart is full of anxiety. I've felt it. I know it too. But friend, there's a reason we can be set free from those fears. And the only key to unlocking that door to freedom of the slavery that you feel is through the one who was laid in a manger, died on the cross and rose from the dead for you. His name is Jesus. He sets us free from our fears. He destroys the work of Satan. I love the song we sang. Tidings of comfort and joy. God God rest ye merry, gentlemen. Be at peace. Rest in happiness and hope because Jesus has come. He was born to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings, news of comfort and joy. Fifteen years ago, my family, this is before Alethe was born, and uh, Benjamin was like one year old, and, and Judah was probably, what, three or four years old. We lived in Richmond, California, in the San Francisco Bay Area. We lived in a, a complex that shared yards with some other complexes, and one night at about 2 a.m., uh, we heard some rustling. We thought it was our neighbors upstairs, but after a while, I realized that rustling was getting really close. We were all sleeping in our beds. It was dark, nighttime, and I come out to our living room area, and I turn the corner to the kitchen, and what do I see? A silhouette of a dark figure that had entered into our kitchen and was breaking into our home. As a husband and as a dad, I felt in that moment 
a shot of adrenaline and energy and fear and anger and rage and all these things all at once. It was one of the most amazing physical and emotional experiences I'd ever felt. And I think I growled like a bear. There was some sort of voice that came out of this chest. I don't have the deepest, most melodic voice in all the world, but something came out of me that I've never heard ever since. Get out of here! And in that moment, this figure, this person, climbed right back out the window and they darted. They were gone. And I run back toward the hallway where my kids and my wife were sleeping. And I, it's dark and my kids were young, so they had all kinds of weird toys. And I, I remember picking up this thing off the ground to get ready because I didn't know if he was charging at us or if he was leaving. He was leaving. I didn't know it at the time. I picked up and I'm ready to fight. And I realized I'm holding a Nerf sword. <laughs> That's not going to work. I throw the nurse sword, this nurse sword down and I find like a vase, a glass vase. And I'm ready. I'm just going to smash this guy into pieces, right? After a minute or so, I realize he, he, I should say he, I don't know if it's he, I don't know who it was. They were gone. And I think, honestly, their motivations were probably related to all kinds of addictions. They, they're just trying to find anything that they can find, money or whatever. But in that moment, I felt the grip of fear. We called the police. The police came over, and they're coming through our house with rifles and handguns and their, their pistols, and they're walking through the house making sure there isn't anybody there. And in a moment, I finally felt so much more comfort. But after those police left, I was haunted. I couldn't sleep. I had to keep all the lights on. My kids, my wife, I think they finally went back to sleep, but I'm pacing through the house. And every little squirrel outside, every little chirp of a bird, my head's turning around. I was haunted by fear. Friends, that's the torment of Satan in our lives. In your hearts, in the house of your hearts, he tries to break in and steal your comfort and your joy all the time because he's an accuser, because he's an adversary. Because he's an enemy, because he's a deceiver, because he's a liar, because he's a murderer and he wants to get into the heart, a home of your heart and steal your comfort and joy. But praise be to God, our Savior has come and he has defeated our adversary. He has defeated our enemy forever through what he's done. Friends, that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus has come to defeat the enemy. Point number two from verses 17 to 18. Jesus became one of us to comfort us with his help. Jesus became one of us to comfort us with his help. First thing we see from the final portion of this passage is that Jesus opened the way to the good favor of God. Jesus opened the way to the good favor of God. Look at verse 17 of Hebrews 2 again. It says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? What was the purpose? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, Jesus, the reason why he came at Christmas time is so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest for you. And you may be thinking to yourself, why in the world do I need a priest, right? Why, why do I need a priest? Well, see, we needed a mediator. We needed a go-between. Just this morning in my own prayer and devotions, I read a verse that talked about the holiness of God. And only, you can only approach God with perfection and reverence because he is a holy, righteous, glorious, transcendent, beautiful, wonderful, pure God. You can't just walk right into God. 
He has deserved to be treated with reverence, but because of our sin, our sin separates us so far. Our rebellion, our disobedience, our bad attitudes, our bad thoughts, our bad minds, our bad feelings, they separate us from God. How could we ever bridge that gap? We needed a mediator. We needed somebody to stand between us, someone who held our hand and held God's hand, the Father's hand, and said, I am here to bring reconciliation. I'm here to bring wholeness. I'm here to bring completion and peace. Jesus is the only mediator you can go to, friend. You can't come to a pastor can't come to an elder or a small group leader or, or a disciple maker. You can't go to anybody here now in this room except Jesus. He's the only one qualified to be our mediator. And he doesn't just mediate for us because he's obligated, because we've twisted his arm. He doesn't count on, on us when we mess up again even. No, he's a merciful high priest. He's a compassionate mediator. Compassion, compassion. He feels it. He's with you. And not only that, he's faithful. He never, ever, ever lets us down. You love the faithfulness of Jesus? He never lets you down. I don't know how many times you thought this week, man, I've let Jesus down. I I just let him down with that word I said. I just let him down in that attitude I just had. I let him down in that thought I just had, that thing I just looked at, the way I talked to that person. I I have barely worshipped. When was the last time I prayed? When was the last time I read my Bible? You may have failed Jesus a thousand ways, friends. He'll never, ever fail you. Never fails you. He is the perfect, merciful, faithful go-between. The way to God's throne and his help is always open through Jesus Always open. And not only that, but it says that he is, uh, he is the one who is the propitiation for us. What in the world does that word mean, right? He is to make propitiation, it says at the end of verse 17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He, Jesus, the perfect high priest, the perfect mediator, he offered the only acceptable sacrifice to God for our sin. The enmity that existed between God and us is gone forever. He gave the perfect sacrifice. That enmity, it's removed. That's what propitiation means. It's the bloody sacrifice of Jesus on the altar of God in heaven through, when he offered himself on the cross. That bloody sacrifice ends the enmity with God. It satisfies the justice of God and it cleanses and removes that sin from us so that what used to stand between us and God, all the sin, all the penalty, all the punishment, all the disgusting nature of what we've done, Jesus comes in as a merciful and faithful mediator and he says, I'm gonna offer sacrifice for sins. And guess what he does? He sacrificed himself for you and for me on that cross so that now all that blocked us from God is removed, it's gone. If you wanna learn more, more about this, read Hebrews. It's an amazing book. It talks about the depths that Jesus went to to make us right before God again through his perfect sacrifice. What an amazing mediator. Hebrews chapter 4, just a, a few chapters later, in verses 14 to 16, it says this, verse 14 of Hebrews 4, since then we have a great, great mediator, a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, not just somebody here on the earth. He's gone right to the throne room of God, through the heavens, the Son of God. What should we do? Let us hold fast our confession. 
I hope you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior with your mouth. I hope that you've believed in him in your heart. Friend, that's the only qualification. That's the only requirement for any of us to receive all this good news, all this comfort and joy, to have all our fear removed. Just confess Jesus with your mouth. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who says, I've come, I've put on human flesh, I've come and removed all the barriers that keep you from God, all the things that cause you fear, I've come to help you, to help you. You, how personal is this, friends? Jesus saw you when he hung on that cross. Jesus saw you when he decided to say, I'm going to come down and put on human flesh. He came to help you. And not only did he come to help us, but the next part is this, is that Jesus can now, because sometimes I feel like, Jesus, I wish you were standing right here next to me, right? You ever been there? Like you're in the middle of a battle. You're in the middle of a temptation. You're in the middle of of something that is causing you pain and fear and hurt and brokenness. Jesus, where are you? He says, I'm here. I'm here. Jesus can now help us when we need it most. Again, verse 18 of Hebrews 2, our passage, it says this, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. What a mystery. God can can never be tempted, but that's why God the Son took on human flesh. Here's the miracle of Christmas. The Son of God stepped into the brokenness of this world. He took on skin. He took on bone. He experienced pain. He suffered. He was hungry. He got thirsty. And he did all this. He put on human flesh, and now he's at the glorious side of the Father, but he added on that human flesh forever, forever. For you, for you, for you. So that when I am being tempted, when I'm suffering, he comes right alongside me today and he comes right alongside you and he says, I know, I get it, I understand, and I'm here to help. Jumping over again to Hebrews 4.15, it says this, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. There's the difference between Jesus and us. He's God in the flesh. We're merely human. But guess what? All those experiences of humanity, he had them all except this. He never sinned. I am so glad I've got someone that knows what it's like, but he says, I don't just wallow in your misery with you. He says, I know what it's like to suffer, but I conquered it for you. I conquered it for you. He brings us the help when we need it the most. When we need it the most, friend, you might have been in a moment this week where you felt weak under the pressure of temptation. You might have been in a spot this week where you were feel like your heart was buckling under the anxiety of your cares and your hurts in this world. You may have been at a moment in, 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 of tears where you felt fear. What is the next step for me, friend, in those moments? If you are in Jesus, you've got a helper who's sitting in that car seat next to you. You've got someone who's laying in that bed next to you. You've got that one who walks alongside you. You've got one that heard that, that terrible criticism 
wisdom that maybe a spouse gave to you or maybe a, a boss gave to you. He knows, he feels it, he understands, and he's there to help you. Praise God for the help of Jesus, for the help of Jesus. Tidings of comfort and joy. God gets you. And he doesn't know only because he's God. God knows all things, but it's more than that. It's because Christmas, Christmas, at Christmas, Jesus took on a nature just like yours. He can say, I know. I understand. I feel it. I am here to help you. I hope you have someone on an earthly level like that in your life. That's why we have small groups. I love our small groups. I love our times of prayer. We get together and we share our hurts, our pains, all that is tormenting us. And we say, I get you, but guess what? I'm going to point you to someone who gets you even more than I do. And that's Jesus, our great mediator, our great high priest. That's our big idea this morning. Tidings of comfort and joy. Christmas is good news that replaces our fear with comfort. God rest you merry this Christmas season. God grant you peace and comfort this Christmas. Tidings, news of comfort and joy. What does this mean for Monday? What does this mean tomorrow? I mean, we've talked about some big truths. Jesus conquering Satan. Jesus being that mediator that, that understands me and wants to help me. I mean, these are big, big truths. How does that help me when I'm making my kids lunch before they go to school? How does that help me on my commute to work? How does that help me when, you know, the barista gets my coffee wrong or whatever it is? I mean, little stuff, big stuff, all the stuff you've got going on in your lives. Well, the, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to remember Jesus. You see, the, 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 the audience, the, the Jewish believers in the book of Hebrews, they were tempted to leave Jesus behind. They were suffering. They were feeling pain because they were following Jesus. Pain from uh, uh, leaders that were opposing them and persecuting them. And we know the forces behind that. We talked about it earlier. That was Satan himself. And they were tempted to do something. They were saying, you know what, I, I think I might need to leave Jesus behind a little bit and go back to that to-do list that we had in the Law of Moses. Maybe if I go back to that, I'll find some comfort and joy for my life. I'll go back to those laws that when I obeyed them, they made me feel really good. And when I disobeyed them, I just kind of shoved them under the rug, right? But let me go back to that to-do list. Maybe go, go back to the law to help me find my identity once again. Friends, that's the deception of Satan. He says, you know what? God isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough. You have to take things into your own hands. And boy, do we not feel it at this Christmas season? When we feel like our comfort and our joy is gone, maybe I gotta do more. Maybe I gotta string another string of lights around that tree. Maybe I gotta go shop for that next gift. Maybe I gotta watch that next Hallmark movie, right? That provides a lot of hope and reality, right? Right? Maybe I gotta go get that special coffee at Starbucks or whatever it is. I gotta attend that next party. I gotta go, go, go. I gotta do, do, do. And if I get all the list done and completed, maybe I'll find some space this Christmas season for comfort and joy. Friends, that's the error of Hebrews that the writer is addressing. We want to add a list. We want to add a law. We want to do something that we could do to somehow secure freedom from the enslavement that we feel to Satan, freedom from our anxiety, freedom from our fears. We just ignore them, shove them under the drug, and give ourselves these long to-do lists and think at the end of the day, if I get them all done, I'll feel good. 
Guess what, friends? There's another to-do list tomorrow morning. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember Christ, our Savior, who was born on Christmas Day. He came to set you free from Satan's slavery. He came to be the one who can help you and sympathize with all of your needs. Friends, this Christmas season, I just want to encourage you and encourage me and encourage us to, God rest ye merry. God rest ye merry. May God grant you happiness and peace this holiday season, not through checking off the to-do lists. My, my daughter and her friend and my wife, they, they, went, they went to the mall at Tyson's yesterday, and they did not come back resting merry, right? They felt it, the busyness of this season. Friends, there's got to be times where we find in the mornings, in the afternoons, in the evenings, where we stop and say, no, 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 I'm going to remember Jesus. The to-do list will find me no comfort The to-do list will find me no joy. There's only joy found in the one who has removed my fears, who has defeated Satan, and who knows what it's like to suffer temptation. You may be feeling it today. Maybe you've got a temptation that has just been overcoming you today. I love what Romans 12, 15 says. It says that we're to sympathize with each other because Jesus sympathized with us. We rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're going to end our service here in just a moment. We're going to sing this awesome, another arrangement of this song we were just talking about. But I want to invite you, before you run off and start that to-do list today, will you take some time to rest merry in the good news about Jesus? Every week we invite you. We've got a prayer team that's over to your right, and, and they want to invite you. If you need prayer, if you need just some space to rest in the goodness of Jesus, we'll do that with you. Maybe you've been feeling that fear that's been overcoming you. Maybe you've never put your faith in this Jesus who's conquered a real adversary for you who is Satan. And maybe you've never trusted in this Jesus who can truly help and be that only mediator that you could ever trust in to get you back to God. Our invitation to you today is rest in Jesus. Call upon his name. He's done all the work for you. He died on the cross, rose from the dead so that you could be set free. Oh, I pray that you'd come to him today so that you could rest, marry, and receive tidings of comfort and joy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this message of Christmas. This message that sets us free from enslavement to Satan's tyranny. This message that delivers hope that we've got someone who truly knows what it's like to be tempted in the moments that we feel it. The one who who knows what it's like to be tempted with anxiety and tempted with fear and tempted with hunger and thirst. Oh, this Jesus has come. The good news of Christmas gives us comfort and joy. And today, Father, all of us during this Christmas season, we feel the crunch. We feel the to-do lists. But we don't want to be like the audience of Hebrews. We don't want to start adding laws thinking that somehow this list can give us hope and satisfaction and comfort and joy. Oh, I pray as a church, as a fellowship of believers, that we would be some that look to Jesus, look to his goodness, look to his victory, look to his power, the one at Christmas who replaces our fears with comfort. I pray that we would be a people of comfort, a people of joy, And that we wouldn't just experience it for ourselves, but that we'd offer it to others. 
that we come alongside and say, we'll rejoice with you when you rejoice. We'll weep with you when you weep. But there's someone who knows even closer than I do, and that's Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here today that's never put faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, they're still enslaved to their sin. They're still enslaved to Satan. Oh, I pray that they would look to Jesus. He is the key. He unlocks the door. He sets prisoners free. Oh, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Thank you so much. We will rest merry this Christmas season because of what Jesus has done for us. He gives us tidings of comfort and joy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.